Hey guys, Reed Goosens here. Now before we dive into today's show, I quickly want to tell you about some exciting things happening in 2018. Now in a few months time, I will be launching my brand spanking new book appropriately titled Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And it is all the best bits from this show transformed into a book. Now, As you are all loyal listeners on this show, we are doing a pre-launch book giveaway. So what you have to do in order to participate in this pre-launch book giveaway is just shoot me an email. It's pretty simple. At info, that's I-N-F-O at readgoosens.com. And in the subject line, you can put the words Kraken book. And in return, I will shoot you back a link where you can go and pre-order your copy of my new book. Now remember, in that link, there will be an area where you can put the code Kraken, C-R-A-C-K-I-N, and that will enable you to get a discount. I wanna thank you all for tuning in. The reason why I do this show is because of my loyal listeners, and this is a way of me giving back to you guys by helping you, you can pre-order the book and get it for free before we launch in a couple of months' time. All right, now back into the show. So it took me a while to to learn this here in Australia, Reid, but um, uh, after some trial and error, and, and in assembling myself with a really good elite independent team is probably the best thing we've ever done. So a really good accountant who invests in property, a financial planner to look at the re- transition to retirement strategy at the other end, a really good project manager who's expert in uh, putting the whole build process together, a good buyer's agent to identify the opportunities in the first place. And one of the absolute key players that no one spends enough time thinking about as a property manager. Welcome to Investing in the US, an Aussie's guide to US real estate. A podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today 
on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Bushy Martin. Bushy is one of Australia's leading real estate investing experts. His company, KH Group, helps busy Australians invest in real estate to set themselves up for a comfortable retirement. Bushy, Bushy is also the author of The Freedom Formula, Live More, Work Less, and Leave a Legacy with Property, which was launched earlier this year. In the book, Bushy explains the six Ps to creating the right mindset for property investing to unlock your financial goals with a long-term focus. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Bushy. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Fantastic, Reid. Uh, real pleasure to be here, mate. And um, talking to a fellow Aussie in the US, uh, really looking forward to comparing some notes, mate. Mate, I have. Uh, I heard you on a on a pretty awesome podcast a couple of weeks back, and I said, I've got to get this guy on my show. Just your charisma and your story um, was really, really inspiring. But for those people who don't know the Bushy Martin story, do you want to rewind the clock back? And let's start all the way back when you were a kid and you know, how did you make your first ever dollar, as, uh, as the, the Dent podcast likes to say? Yeah, that's a good place to start, actually, mate. Um, uh, I'm country boy, and hence the, the term Bushy. And uh, as a kid, we moved around a lot in uh, regional Australia. Uh, so I got used to uh, meeting new people continuously. I, I think by the age of 40, I've lived in 40 different places, Reid. So I uh, enjoyed the cut and thrust of that. But as a kid, I was a, a punk-chested asthmatic. So I uh, spent a lot of time in bed. Uh, in, in fact, in several places, four days out of seven, I was confined to bed. And, my way of getting around was to always have a pen in my hand. So I was always drawing, designing, uh, but the old man, given the country guy that he was, said, look, son, uh, stop pushing around with those pretty pictures. Uh, don't think you're ever going to make a living doing that. You've got to get out there and get a real job. So uh, the old brain started ticking read and I uh, thought, well, how can I combine my love of uh, drawing and whatnot with something that dad would consider to be a real job and hence, become an architect. So uh, architecture was the was the real driver right from a very early age. I mean, I'm one of those uh, nerds that if you ask me in primary school, what are you going to be? I would have said, yeah, I'm going to be an architect. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty scary, mate, because I think, I think you're an engineer. So uh, there's always that That's healthy right. uh, antagonism between architects and engineers, mate. And uh, in the Australian context, uh, architects normally not mentioned on its own. It's, it's normally, effing architect because uh, <laughs> that's pretty much how most people perceive architects in Australia. But my first dollar, mate, I'm sort of meandering here a bit. My very first dollar was earned selling stickers, would you believe? So, uh, it sounds bizarre, but uh, in good old, a little town called Bordertown in the southeast of South Australia, where we spent a few years, um, we started this sticker club. And we used to go around to the pubs and get all of the great big uh, stickers that the pubs would put on the, the windows and we'd get the um, uh, tobacco company uh, stickers and we'd get or the Coca-Cola. And, and it became, we created this uh, quite intimate club and we actually started making our own stickers in the finish. And then we would created a sticker trading group at school. And now I'm talking, this is in, wow. in primary school, uh, where we got people to race off and source and I'd, I'd ring the companies and I'd send the letters and say, can you send me your stickers? And uh, all of the guys, all the kids at school wanted to get the, the latest Coca-Cola sticker or the, the you name it. So that was the first dollar. Uh, but alongside that, we had a, um, a second-hand golf ball 
business where uh, myself and my brothers would spend time on the weekends in the creeks at the golf course in our rubber boots, re retrieving lost golf balls and then selling them back to the golfers uh, at the uh, golf shop for a couple of dollars. So um, that was pretty much our first venture into the uh, dollar making exercise, mate. Mate, that, that's an incredible stickers and golf balls and golf balls, I should say, trudging around in the mud to make a dollar. That's that's pretty awesome. And and I've heard a little bit about your story, but you mentioned you know the name Bushy. It's an it's an interesting name. It is your real name, correct? Yeah, absolutely. My uh, my actually christened as John, but uh, no one other than my uh, my mother, God bless her, who's now passed away, and my wife, when she's irate, uses the name John. <laughs> so it's bushy and it's really a, a legacy for my old man, uh, Reid. He, uh, he was the original bushy and was very well renowned in Victoria and South Australia in particular and, and had a lot of time for my old man. He was a real role model for me. So when he passed away, I just uh, dropped the bushy junior tag because everyone used to call me bushy junior. And uh, as a out of respect for dad, it's, I just want to keep his uh, legacy alive, mate. So every time someone calls me bushy, in the back of my brain, it's reminding me of dad. So it's a uh, that's awesome. And for those people listening, bushy the bush, you know the the, the the outback in Australia. That's where you grew up, mate, isn't it? And that's where you've you know you 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 cut your teeth on selling golf balls to to <laughs> unsuspecting golf golfers who is just you know selling them back their going golf balls, which is pretty bloody awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But mate, walk me through the the journey because I know I was reading on your website before uh, we jumped on here and a little bit in the green room we we're talking about just the, the aha moment. I think I was reading on your website about how you are, you're an architect and, and for those people who don't know, architecture is a bloody slog like structural engineering, but architects tend to love to work and get in it get in at 11 o'clock in the morning with a frappuccino and a sort of a turtleneck on and, and, and leave at midnight, right? You got it, you got it. <laughs> but, 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 but tell me that story because I was really interested to hear about that because a lot of people who listen to the shows uh, do work full-time and they get to that, that burnout stage. So, so walk me through that. Yeah, well, I, I guess like a lot of uh, people in the Western world, mate, I was, I was following the, the normal career model and that was uh, work out at school, go hard at uni, get a good job, climb the corporate ladder, uh, put some money into super, pay off your home loan, and then retire on that and tick off the bucket list when you stop work. That was pretty much the model, and that was pretty much the model my old man had been following at the same time. Uh, but because of uh, a couple of things, I guess, Reid, uh, that wasn't working for me for several reasons. And I mentioned before that as a punk chested asthmatic, my way of coping with things in the early days, and because we moved around a fair bit, I was normally at least one and more often two years younger than everyone else in the class than I was. So I was a couple of feet below them. My way of coping with that was to work twice as hard as everyone else. And uh, that was okay. Uh, the downside, but it's a two-edged sword because the downside of that is that uh, once I started achieving really good results with that, it became a self-fulfilling exercise where I just worked harder and harder and uh, I became a victim of my own expectations in that if I achieved really good results and I had to keep achieving good results, so I, I had to keep pushing and pushing and became obsessive about that. And, and architecture can be a very obsessive uh, career because as you've well 
well pointed out already, I was working seven days a week, 14 hours a day. Uh, so it's a very little gratitude, really. No one really respects architects in Australia in particular. Everyone thinks they are one, actually, because it's, you know, <laughs> how, how can you charge me that for knocking up something I could do on a, on a serviette on the weekend, pretty much. Where they got to was, it was burnout. I hit the wall, uh, deserved to. Uh, I was absentee read. And that was a big shock to the system for me because uh, I was one of those country boys who was, you know, marry once and marry for life. And at the same time, my old man's health started to pack up. So I've been following in his footsteps in terms of that work ethic and really going hard. And dad was always going to work hard, retire, and then live the bucket list. He started, he got bowel cancer, he had a whole series of strokes. Uh, it happened about the same time as uh, my marriage went belly up. And he actually, I'll never forget the day, mate. Uh, he's sitting there dribbling out of the side of his mouth uh, in bed. And he, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, son, learn from me. Don't do what I've done. Stop working for money and start getting your money to work for you. And that really pulled me up in my tracks, Reed, but at, at, but at the right time, because I'd just come to grief myself in relation to following that typical model. And I then started hunting. So what am I, how am I going to do this? And uh, like, like many others, uh, I had my Kiyosaki moment where... Uh, <laughs> hey, mate. Love the old Kiyosaki. Absolutely. Uh, he had time running a, a session so I thought I'll go along and have a listen to this and a mate of mine said you've got to go and have a listen to this guy he's really going to change your thinking and that was light bulb mate it was a passive income of course how how come I hadn't thought of that before and and easy right yeah that's that easy yeah it looked, looked really easy in the book um and that really triggered the thinking process so uh, we did a number of things so property was an obvious one for us one because I'd got my hands dirty with property in the architectural sphere anyway. So it sort of, it wasn't scary for me in that regard. But I, I've got to say that uh, I made a heap of mistakes early on. And my new wife, Sonia, and I are now starting 20 years together. Uh, one good thing about being an architect, Reid, is that you spend your whole life designing the future. So you're always starting with imagining what something's going to be and then breaking it down into the steps that we need to take to get, get us from where we are to realise that vision. And uh, because that was second nature to me, when Sonia and I got together, the first thing we did was say, okay, how do we want to live? What's our perfect lifestyle look like? And we broke it down to what's our perfect day, week, month, year? Uh, what are we doing? Where are we doing it? How are we doing it? Who are we with? We got absolutely crystal clear on that. And then it was pretty easy for us to work out how much that lifestyle cost. Because the, what I was avoiding was what my old man was doing. He was just chasing the dollar for the sake of the dollar. He worked really hard and he did really well, but he killed himself in the process effectively. So for us, it was about, hey, let's, let's define what our perfect lifestyle is and then monetize that to work out what that lifestyle costs. All we need to then do is invest in assets you're going to produce that income stream and the job's done. That's it. So uh, we embarked on that journey. Uh, we got stuck into property. Uh, as I said, I reckon I made every mistake you can make in property early on because I was focused on the property, not the process and the structure and everything else that goes around it. And, and what I help people now with is recognising that property is the vehicle 
but that's it's almost at the end of the journey in relation to getting everything else in place before you actually go out and secure the property that's going to help you achieve. So the, that process brought us to what I call the freedom numbers uh, in in relation to working out what your lifestyle income needs to be to suit your perfect lifestyle. Uh, then look at what your break-free number is. So how many years before you want to be in a position where you don't have to work? And I'm not saying stop work, but because most of us don't, we enjoy it, but not have to work. That's then very easily translated into the nest egg number. So in Australia, and I'm not sure what the numbers look like in the US, Ray, but um, uh, if you average a 5% net return on whatever you invest in, and let, let's say that $100,000 in Aussie dollars is enough to, to give you a, a reasonable income, then at 5% times that number by 20, and there's $2 million worth in income producing assets that you need to have. And then the timeline will help you to understand what you need to be doing today. So if I had 20 years to accumulate the 2 million in, in our average growth rates in Australia, that's about two to three properties. So no rocket science in it, not very difficult, not sexy, and very boring, but as a wealth-by-stealth process, uh, for most people who actually enjoy their careers and want to put their energy into the career, driving their income and spending free time with friends and family, it's a model that works very well here in Australia. It's a very interesting model because I, when I first picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, I, I was going to all the, 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 they call them rear events here, but I was going to the rear events in Australia, you know, and all the things that you could do in Aussie, um, what I think there was what was it, lease options, and I think they they banned that pretty pretty quickly. Flipping houses, but it's interesting. What are you are you investing for cash flow in Aussie at the moment? Is that is that a thing? Because you know I've, I've been in the states for so long and I've made you know all my investing choices here. And and someone says to me, how do you make money in Australia? And I said, well, I don't actually know. I've been away for so long. <laughs> so what is cash flow? Your 5%, is that typically your rule that you're trying to look for for assets in Aussie? No, well, let me describe that. So early on, it's all about affordable growth. So it took me a while to, to learn this here in Australia, Reid. But um, uh, after some trial and error and and in assembling myself with a really good elite independent team is probably the best thing we've ever done so a really good accountant who invests in property a financial planner to look at the transition to retirement strategy at the other end a really good project manager who's expert in uh, putting the whole build process together a good buyer's agent to identify the opportunities in the first place and one of the absolute key players that no one spends enough time thinking about it as a property manager because a really good property manager at the beginning of the process to help you know what sort of property works in a particular location but then also to manage that property to remove any of the headaches and uh, so not creating yourself a second job at the end of the process is also pretty key but uh, very simply and I, and I talk about this in the in my book the freedom formula if you're nest egg isn't at the size it needs to be then you need to invest for growth it needs to be affordable so you need to structure it in such a way that you're using all the tax incentives and all the all the benefits that the australian government offers you to make sure that it's affordable so it's not burning a massive hole in your pocket every week by holding on to the property but growth is the absolute focus when that portfolio reaches a stage where it's achieved that nest egg level then it's converted to cash flow 
So uh, this, this strategy isn't one where you buy the properties and then end up living off the rent. This is a strategy where you grow your wealth through the property and then you uh, transform that by eliminating debt, doing a rationalization, converting some into index funds, some into cash, some, some into retaining properties, potentially moving types of property. So go into commercial property, which is much more cash flow orientated. So the, the, the very simple maths I talk about is go for growth and then convert to cash flow. So, so it's not a static exercise. It's a transition model that takes you to get to where you need to be income wise and then you convert that portfolio into a tax effective income stream. No, it's, it's, it's very interesting that a lot, I, I try to, when I explain to people what the Australian property market's like, I really try and I break it down into what, what they call tier one and tier two and tier three markets here in the United States. And you, you've invested here in the US, but something like you know Los Angeles and New York and San Francisco, they're sort of your Australia-esque type of, of, of sub-markets where you know, property prices are through the roof, rent is high, but the, you don't cash flow because the, just the property prices are too bloody high. Cap rates are in the toilet, you know, they're, they're, they're less than 2%. So that's the type of environment you're investing in, you're investing in for the future. So maybe walk through some of the numbers that, that the average person earning that $100,000 a year would need to, to, to get to that that point of this this nest egg and 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 financial freedom and the freedom. Yeah, number. so the, it is a the property cycle in Australia on average uh, to be safe. And I'm a very conservative investor, Reid. Uh, to protect yourself, you need to be going through a 15 year journey. Now, the property cycle here will uh, oscillate every eight to 15 years. So you know the, you, you hear a lot of. Spruikers in Australia talk about, you know, the property doubles every 10 years. Well, sometimes that does, but a lot of the time that doesn't. 15 years, you will achieve that. So uh, if we're going through a 15-year curve and we're averaging um, the sort of capital growth that you can get in the right locations, and, and this is the key, is being very careful about where you buy the property. The location is more important than the property itself, actually in terms of growth. And there's some pretty simple things that we use to identify those properties, but we're trying to aim at a, an eight to 11% uh, growth rate over that 15 year period. That's, that's a sort of an average exercise. And th those, those opportunities are available, uh, but you've got to be uh, quite careful about where you do that. And there's some- Now is that eight to 11% year on year? Yes, that's the average over that, that period. Wow. And if you look at, I did, I did some research in the book, uh, Reid, to look at the average growth of shares and property since 1924 uh, and looked at ABS numbers and some other sort of um, respectable research houses. Uh, the average growth for those assets over that time is between 11 and 11.5%. That, they're big numbers, uh, but it's very, very localised, Reid, very localised. So the art form here, is identifying those locations that are going to give you that growth. And, and we've, we've uh, developed a fairly sophisticated means of actually getting confidence around what that is. But, but the simple things that we, we follow broadly, uh, follow the jobs. That's, that's the really simple mass. If you follow the jobs, everything else comes in behind it. So 
what we're trying to identify is strong income profiles that are growing. So it's generally looking at where are the professionals putting themselves and then following their career growth. Because what happens here in Australia is that in tightly held locations, which are generally within the sort of up to 20k radius of the CBDs in Australia, if you identify areas where the professionals are living in and where the good school catchment zones are, because people will move their families into a school catchment zone just to get their kids at the right college or right school, then you've got an area where there's limited supply, strong demand, you've got a strong income which can afford to pay more for the property and keep paying more for the property as, as time goes on. So the, the employment and economic demographics are pretty key. And then from there, what adds to that is committed government infrastructure. So we're looking for change. You know, any any uh, real estate growth needs to identify what's going to be happening in the future in a particular location. I couldn't care less what's happened in the past. The past is a distraction. And way too many property investors use the rear vision mirror rather than a telescope, right? And so we spent, yeah, we spent a lot of time identifying uh, good research sources that are giving us forward trajectories on what's going to happen in a particular market. And uh, gentrification and infrastructure growth are two key supporting drivers. So if we know that a, an, a rail extension or a new freeway or a new school or a new hospital or a new shopping centre is going to then we start looking very closely at that if those other uh, job and employment demographics start to stack up. And then, then the obvious thing behind that is that we tend to focus on highly owner-occupied areas where the property market's driven by emotion. So you want to slipstream in behind that and, and then just set it up the right way so it's not taking any money out of your pocket. And it's possible in Australia on a new build property because of such strong incentives around stamp duty concessions and depreciation in incentives to cash flow positive a new build property that will uh, give you significant equity growth over that 15-year period that I'm talking about. No, that's, a, that's an incredible um, summary. And, and all that you've said applies, you know, one thing I've learned about investing abroad, uh, being from Australia, living in London, I've lived in Europe, I've lived in, I haven't lived in Canada, but I've got mates in Canada who invest. It's the same stuff. It's job growth. It's GDP growth, which is the same thing as job growth. Um, you want to look at, I love what you said about being around good schools, but transport orientated development. So uh, rail, infrastructure, um, shopping malls, hospitals, stuff like that, where the job's creating, and then and in high owner-occupied suburbs. And that's, that's, again, is another really, really key, key asset. Um, and I completely, again, I don't care where you're investing around the world, those are key just basics to investing in real estate. And, and you know, as I said, whether you're in Australia or here in the States or in Europe, those those four or five keys are going to unlock you know financial freedom or, or, or set you on a path towards it. And then I think the big thing that I'm already hearing from you is just the the long term mindset, which a lot of people are just too busy. Like I want it, I want it to happen you know yesterday, <laughs> right? So um, okay, so we've got we've got we've got those bits bits right. Now let's talk about um, the how do you so you talk about the market and it's very specific. And could you give me an example maybe just before we go into the next topic? of where in Australia is something that, that I could then maybe relate it back to the American market just because I know Australia so so, so well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
Like what, what sort of suburbs are you looking at? You're looking around Melbourne, you look around Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth. Yeah. Okay, that's that's really good. So we we have a really good look at what's happening on the property cycle for each of those areas, and they're not synchronised. So each area is going through its own, and, and the market here in Australia, read and because I'm I'm not sure how it operates in the US. It's not a nice, beautiful exponential curve. It's a it's a it's an S curve really. So what we tend to see is uh, you'll get four or five years of, of very strong growth that's that's that comes around that change. And then quite often you'll see the markets actually come back five or 10% and then go flatline for up to eight years and then it'll spike again and then it'll flatten it'll spike. So this spike and plateau routine really helps us to look at where do we need to be identifying locations based on their positioning on that curve. So uh, in the current marketplace in Australia, the places you wouldn't touch with a 40 foot pole because I've just been through massive growth are Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, Hobart has just had an overflow from tree changes and sea changes that uh, uh, see that as a cheap location compared to what's happened in Sydney and Melbourne where they've had exponential equity growth and they've got money to burn. Uh, the two areas that we are focusing on at the moment are in those tightly held suburbs in and around Brisbane, but also in the eastern sector of Adelaide. But what part of um, Oz were you from, mate? Mate, I'm from the sunny coast, and I went to school in Queensland, uh, in in Brisbane. So I know, I know, I know probably exactly where you're going to be investing because that's against where I, where I went to my first ever rear event. Was it called the Brisbane Property Network? I think I still get their emails, um, but that's where I, I first cut my teeth. So, so where in Brisbane are you? Are you? Because and, and my, my, what I might say is before we dive into that is that you're identifying growth and historical data. So yes, you did, you are looking back in the in the rear view in the rear view vision mirror to make sure you're seeing where you are on that curve but identifying what the curve is i think that's really important right because if you don't identify what the growth is in the market and when it's stagnant when it's not historically you're going to shoot yourself in the foot because you know as they say is that you know it's best to try to plead tree 20 years ago the next best time is right now it's the same with real estate investing but don't be an idiot <laughs> and 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 as you're so rightly put it the australian property market like the u.s when people say on all these you know, Fox News and all these bloody stuff, they all the, the Aussie mar- housing market or the, the American housing market, you know, in, in the United States, we have 400 metropolitan statistical areas. And within those 400 MSAs, there's sub-markets and streets and north, south, east, west. And Aussie has exactly the same thing in which we're about to get into. But um, So I just wanted to make that point clear that, again, we're, we're trying to tie the, the similarities between the two uh, countries because it's very important to understand that the takeaway here is it doesn't change, right? You're still doing the same principles regardless of where you're investing around the world. So yeah. I'll leave that be, but but to take it back off where, you, where you're investing in Brisbane. So you're looking at Hobart, Hobart and Brisbane, but you're looking at also that the S-curve on where they are in the growth market. Yeah, the growth no, cycle. I should qualify that. Not, not to Hobart. Hobart, Hobart I... The two locations, the, the three locations that are uh, projected to do well over the next three years, and that's about as far forward as you can look, given the uh, information we've got. And we've got access to some really good research now that is looking at forward projecting reports. There's a group called RiskWise that's come into the market here in Australia that's producing really easy to comprehend uh, reports using algorithms that are looking at all of the key criteria that we've spoken about. But uh, if let's take Brisbane, for example. Uh, and one thing I should say is that one thing that we do with investors first up is we determine what is their 
affordable spend. So what's their purchase price power? We need to establish that before we even start looking at property. And then based on that purchase point, find the highest growth location at that price that's going to give them the sort of results that they're looking for. So uh, when someone comes to me and says, where's, where's hot? And I say, well, how much, how much you got to spend? Because that will determine where, where you really start to look. And, and in really simple terms, and it's not quite as, as simple as this, but the less you've got to spend, the further you are from a CBD. That's, that's the, the general mass of it. So if you're, if you're spending, say, 450 to 550, uh, and we're looking at southeast Queensland, which is the area you know, then uh, there are pockets in the sunny coast that I would look at. Uh, there's pockets in and around the Ipswich area, and you're probably going, oh, Ipswich, is that, that's that housing trust tragedy. Uh, there's, there's an amazing amount of government infrastructure being put into identifying that location as the second CBD for southern Queensland. So there's massive infrastructure, highways, rail, education hubs, uh, IT employment hubs that are all going down to that location. So if you're spending 450 to 550, we, we're also generally big fans of real houses for real people, Reid, because what, in, in terms of being a, a conservative investor, we're looking at where do most Australians like to live? Now, most Australians don't like to live in units, townhouses and apartments. The only people that generally do are singles, divorcees and first-time investors who think it's cheap. And that tends to cap its growth. At the higher end, you tend to fall out because there's less buyers. But if you're in that sweet spot for a three or four bedroom, double bath, double living, double garage home in Australia, which is the Australian model, on a, on a maintainable block of land, it's always going to rent and it's always going to sell. So we tend to focus on those and building, finding infill blocks in, a, in a, an area that's regentrifying, gentrifying uh, where we can build below market value. So you're getting instant equity uptake on completion, and then going on the rise. Okay, so you're building brand new, is yeah, that right? Yeah, so if you're, if you're spending a bit more, and, and the, the reason we go brand new, and it's even been more emphasised with recent changes to uh, the legislation here in Australia over the last couple of years, uh, the, the government has pulled the wings off depreciation on existing properties. And the reason the government's doing that here is they know we've got a massive housing shortage. So they're incentivising mum and dad investors to build new stock rather than buy existing. And as massive... Be, be careful, you might, you might turn into the urban sprawl of America. Oh, uh, <laughs> there's a, and that's a good point, but the, a lot of the work that's been done now is the regentrification of the existing suburbs. So rather than, rather than that green belt sprawl on the fringes, which goes forever, it's more about... And, and I wouldn't touch those areas with a 40-foot pole because there's no scarcity. Where you've got buckets of land that just keeps hitting the market that you're not going to do well there. But if you can get in and amongst an existing area where there's, there's some, been some zoning changes uh, that are promoting uh, higher density. So it's, it's houses but on smaller blocks because the average Aussie doesn't want to spend their weekends mowing the lawn or weeding the garden anymore. We want to enjoy life. Uh, we can find those pockets. So if we're spending a bit more, so let's, again, in areas that will make sense to you, uh, if we're spending anywhere between sort of 600 and 800,000, which is where most Aussies would cap out, when we're talking the Camp Hills and, and those, those sorts of areas in, in closer to uh, 
the Brisbane CBD, which are tightly held, again, good schools, schools, easy commutes, uh, good quality properties with a, with a rezoning that's promoting high density. It, it's those sorts of, and it's some areas similarly out east of the city on the way to the airport where there's a lot of new infrastructure, which are also looking pretty strong. So they're probably areas that, that ring bells in your head. No, they do. And, and just for those people who are listening, it would be the equivalent. So which would be the equivalent of the Inland Empire to Los Angeles. Um, and your Camp Hill would probably be uh, your Crenshaw area. And if you're looking in the LA market, which is very specific, but you know around the Inglewood where they're building the stadium, stuff like that, infrastructure's coming. Um, we're actually looking in and around that price range and some of the stuff we're looking at for 600 to seven to three quarters of a million bucks in LA is very much a ghetto. <laughs> so it's, it's it, even for us buying here in LA, again, that's why it's so much similarity between markets like LA, San Francisco, New York to Brisbane, you know, Melbourne, um, at, you know, Adelaide, stuff like that. There's just so many similarities. So again, and being transport orientated development focused is very important but 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 continue so you've got you you're in and around the 500 to 600 700,000 range but you got it but the, the key is you got to be able to afford it right because the rent will, will the rent that you bring in cover the mortgage uh in that case okay so, there we go. okay but keep going so this is where the art form comes in because uh if you're going on a 15 year investment journey it's got to be affordable. So a lot of the work we do early with people, before we've even started the canvas property opportunities, once we've established what someone can afford to purchase at a price point, then we've got some sophisticated software that enables us to look at how much per week will this particular price point cost you based on uh, every conceivable cost involved in securing, building and holding that property on in year one, two, three, five, 10, 15. So that, uh, and then overlay that with what's going to be happening in their lifestyles over that, that time. So are they sending their kids to private school? Uh, what impact is that, is that going to have? Now, it's fairly easy, given the incentives I've already spoken about with depreciation and stamp duty concessions on new builds, to have a negatively geared property that ends up being positive cash flow. And when I say positive cash and just maybe explain, yeah, explain negatively geared for those people who don't know what that is. Yeah, so negatively geared very simply is where the the property is pulling money out of your pocket every week. That's a, that's about as simple as that I could explain it. Uh, so you're holding onto this property and it's costing you something while you hold it. Because we've got those tax incentives here now in, in this country and they're pretty good for new builds and hence the reason why we're supporting new builds, we're using the negative gearing benefits, so all the tax depreciation benefits that are that are, are keeping somewhere between 10 and 20 grand a year in your pocket rather than giving it to the tax man. That, by pouring that back in and then doing some tricks around, there's some tricks that we use to, rather than wait for the end of the year to get a great big tax lump back, we, we do a tax variation with the Australian tax office to make sure we're getting an increment of that back every week or every payday then let's smooth this cash flow so it becomes slightly positive cash flow and then it's sustainable. So if it's not pulling anything out of your pocket, and, and I'm, I mean this is incorporating every cost involved in the property, then suddenly it's having... Rehab, or oh, sorry, repairs and maintenance and all stuff of that, like that. All of that. So And we, we allow 7% vacancy rate for the property every year. We're very conservative in those allowances to make sure that 
uh, we're looking at worst case scenario. But if we can get a get get someone in a position where even on a worst case conservative basis, it's effectively going to be positive cash flow, then that becomes sustainable forever because it's not biting into salary, it's not biting into savings, it's not crimping lifestyle. And if it's managed properly, if you've got the right team behind you, you get on with focusing on your career and spending what limited time you have with friends and family while the property portfolio is doing its thing in parallel. Got it. And so the, the key would be that once you got the first one off to the races, what's the what's the number? Like, you know, there's gurus around Aussie and in, in the States here, you know, it's own 10 properties and you're financially free or own 60 properties and you're financially free. What is it in Australia? Because <laughs> at, at $500,000 each, mate, owning 10 properties is 5 million bucks and that's a, that's a lot of bloody money. <laughs> but this is a funny thing, Reid, and th- this is what makes me laugh when I hear all these spruikers carry on about 10 properties in 10 years and blah bloody blah Um Reality is, if your time frame is long enough, because this is where there's uh, an expression I use when I talk to first-time investors, and that is that you've got to give yourself plenty of TLC. And what I mean by that is not tender loving care, although it is actually in a different format, it's using the time you have available, and the more time you've got, the easier this gets. It's using leverage, leveraging other people's money and other people's expertise, and then allowing the magic of compounding returns, which good old Albert Einstein referred to as the eighth one of the world, to do its work. So if you, if you focus on TLC, then uh, it becomes easy. And that the first one, time, is the most important ingredient. And it's a bit like a ladder. If you've got 20 years, it's, an, it's a nice gradual walk up a, a slope. If you've got five years, you're climbing Everest using Sherpas and uh, hanging on for grim life as you try to climb the cliff. So if we've got 20 years, let's, let's use 20 years. Let's use those freedom numbers I spoke about before, Reid. $100,000. If you reckon that's enough to live comfortably, I think that's a bit under for most people, but let, let's use 100 grand. Sure. Round numbers, Round numbers. right? It's easy to do. Yeah, so there's your <laughs> Yeah, spot on. There's your number. At 5%, that means we need $2 million worth of assets, but that's in 20 years' time. So if we trickle that back and cascade it to what does that mean today, it's about 600000 So for most people, if they secure two or three property structured the right way so it's affordable in high growth areas, that's job done. There you go. There you go. Got it. Okay. So it's three, yeah, two or three. Yep, that makes sense. And then that's over a long-term period. I think that that's the, the key, but because so many investors are, are so focused on this, there's actually been a bit of narrative around this uh, in the States about when Wall Street, um, or when, so when the, the financial market does quarterly reporting and should it be quarterly reporting instead of six monthly reporting? I think Europe does it every six months, but the short-term mindset of investors, uh, I think it, but you know, to what you do in the Australian market, uh, for those listeners who are, you know, keen on the US market, there are ways of making great long-term wealth through high growth markets, even in the United States, which is very similar to what Bushy's just been talking about. So I just want to quickly talk about that, but having that long-term mindset rather than just looking at every quarter and like, oh shit, what the fuck's it, excuse my language, <laughs> what's the NOI doing every bloody quarter? You, you, you're sweating over it. So um, no, that, that's that's incredible stuff, mate. I, I, I do want to be conscious of your time, but I definitely want to get into the, I want you to finish off what you're talking about about that because you, you, you three to four properties in 20 years' time. So then I would assume that if I wanted to say if I want to double that $200,000 a year, I'd need six. Yeah. Right? So you, you'd be looking. It's not quite linear. It's not quite linear, mate. But 
okay. Uh, okay. because of the impact of the compounding growth and the time factor. Sure. Uh, but it'd be sure. fortified sure. properties, yes. Fortified properties in in high growth markets that are that are around your sort of five hundred to six hundred thousand dollar entry point, if that's what you can afford. Yeah. Can I ask what what happens when you've got your first one under under the belt? What are you doing to get the second one under the belt? Say and and is that and what's when are you bought, when are you looking to to inject that second one into the portfolio along the time span of twenty years? Yeah. So the. Uh, philosophy we normally use with the people we assist made is that uh, you invest every time you can. Simple as that. So if someone's got the horsepower to build, and we normally won't do more than one at a time, particularly if they're going through the build for the, for the first time, because that's a completely new experience and they need to get, go through that and be comfortable with it before they're ready uh, number two. But normally we'd be suggesting, because time's so important here, and the, if I summed up the, the investment philosophy, read it's use as little of your money to secure as big an asset base as you can, as quickly as you can, but make it as affordable as you can, and then just let, sit back and let time, the tenant, the tax man, and capital growth do the rest of the work. So uh, if we boil that down then, uh, depending on someone's capacity, so this comes back to you know looking at your income, looking at your assets and looking at liabilities, what is your capacity to secure property? And that will determine how quickly you do them. If there is a limited capacity, uh, and equity is often the deciding factor here, then normally we're adding the second property somewhere within 18 months to two years. And because we're using the equity that we've created in property one, because if we've done this properly, we've, we've created instant equity because we've built it below what its market value is. And if it's in the right sort of zone at the right time, you're getting some capital growth out of that. Then property two in 18 months to, say 18 months to three years is we're, we're adding property two, and then another 18 months to, to three years, depending on a number of factors, we're adding property three. And for most, most Aussies, three properties is enough to get you there. That's 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 incredible, and I think and I think there's a statistic out there that if in the Aussie market at least, I remember learning this at first ever back at the Brisbane Property Network. If you own two properties or more, I think you're in the top five percent in Australia or something like that. Is that is that is, is that still the statistic? Absolutely right, mate. There's uh, over ninety percent of investors only own one property, and here's a really interesting stat for me, mate. Uh, uh, over fifty percent of first-time investors sell a property in the first five years. And the reason for that is all they've done is focus on the property. They haven't structured it the right way. They haven't set up the finances the right way. It's, you know, 18 months in, it's burning a massive hole in their pocket. It's starting to impact on lifestyle. It's putting pressure on their marriage because, shit, we can't afford this bloody thing. Whereas if they'd actually sat back and, and property was the last thing they did on this whole exercise and, and put everything else in place, then you could be amongst the 1%. There's about 1% that own uh, four or more properties in Australia, mate, which is quite staggering, actually, given... That is, that, that is very staggering, actually. Yeah. I didn't, really, I didn't realise it, yeah, it was that low, but, but it gives you a perspective, right? Yeah, and, and, it, and there, I'm, I'm quite convinced that the reason there aren't more in that, that uh, category are because they're just not setting it up the right way. 
Okay. And so let's quickly summarize the setting up again because I think that we, we, we sort of skimmed over that, but it's the same it's the same principles here. You've got really great tax benefits in the US for depreciation. We've got cost segregation here. I don't know if you call it something different in Australia. It's accelerated depreciation of existing things like you know, a washing machine yeah. can will, will won't have a lifespan of thirty years. It's going to have a lifespan of five, so you can depreciate it over a shorter period of yes. time. Um, but it was it was you mentioned something about the tax that was key to flatlining it rather than lumping it at the end of one year. So we just want to quickly summarise that again. Yeah. So in Australian terminology, it's called a PAYG withholding tax variation. That's the technical term. But what it means is it, it, how it actually operates. Let's say that you add a new book property and it's going to give you back 10 to 15 grand a year in tax. So rather than wait for the end of the year to get that great big lump in your hand and therefore have to carry the property for the rest of the year uh, to get to that point, by employing that tax variation, that 10 or 15 grand divided, say you're paid fortnightly. So you divide that 10 or 15 grand by 26. That's how much extra you're going to end up in your pay packet every pay, which means that you've got the extra income there to smooth the cash flow. And the other real benefit of that in the Australian context is that part of what we help investors do is not only accumulate a portfolio that's going to place their income long term, but we use all of those tax benefits to power down the elimination of their non-deductible home loan so they're in freehold position into home years earlier. So if we're pumping all of that, the rental and the tax variations and all of the, the uh, inflows into an offset account against their home loan, you can cut 10 to 15 years off that period and uh, save tens of thousands of dollars in interest on the owner-occupied home loan position. Right, that's that's an incredible, and I think you can do the similar things here in, in America. So again, most Western Western countries are the thing I say about, or well, you know, I, I don't say, but a lot of people say, is that the tax code in most Western countries is really a book to owning you know real estate because the government is not in the business of owning real estate and providing housing for the citizens. So use it if you think of it that way, it changes your mindset about how you approach taxes when you're owning real estate and what the benefits of owning real estate and a hard asset versus a paper asset, which I'm sure you talk a lot about. But mate, I, w- I want to quickly, well, I want to quickly, you know, end the program with talking about the mindset around the six P's of of, of what you do. And break that down a little bit for me before we uh, before we wrap up the show. Yeah, well, mindset. I mean, everyone talks about mindset, right? It doesn't matter who I talk to; it seems to be on the top of everyone's agenda. And uh, mindset in the context of the property investment arena is, is really about getting your expectations right, because uh, far too many uh, property investors think it's going to be easy. That it's just buying a bunch of homes that like the ones they live in. Uh, they don't anticipate there being any issues, so they haven't put the right risk management structure in place. And in the in the book, The Freedom Formula, I've tried to boil those, those mindset expectations down into uh, the six P's. And uh, they are, firstly, purpose and belief. So you need to get crystal clear around why you're doing this. And if you're crystal clear around why you're doing it, and therefore you're selecting the right sort of property to suit that, then that purpose and belief is going to act as both a magnet and a compass. A magnet in terms of you'll you'll stay the course over that 15 years because you know what the prize is going to be at the end. But uh, in addition to that, uh, it acts as a compass in that every opportunity that then comes across your table on a day-to-day basis, if it's not taking you closer to that, 
you say no. If it is, you say yes. So it acts as a bit of a, a guide in that regard. The second is, is perspective, which is your vision. So get really crystal clear on what that ideal lifestyle looks like and then develop a roadmap that's going to get you from where you are to where you want to be and how and what type of property that needs to assist you to do that. So that's, that's again, just painting it out so you know the steps to follow. The third is plan. So that is, is actually putting some shape around what that uh, strategy, and I call it a strategy roadmap for the people we look at rather than a strategy because it's getting people started on their journey to fulfil their future. So putting some real shape around that so that they know where they're at and, and picking up on your point before, I've, I've talked about this in the book as well, there's no point having a 15-year strategy if you're going to re really look at it every 12 months and then make dumb decisions around uh, selling or buying a property at that point in time. You just, it's just, that's a folly. So uh, definitely look at it 18 months to make sure that things, and you can tweak it, but don't throw the baby out with a bathwater, which a lot of people tend to do. Uh, the fourth one is being proactive. And the flip side of that is avoiding procrastination. I, I talked to way too many investors, and, and I was like this when I started to read. Uh, I was looking for the perfect property. And the perfect property doesn't exist. And if it does, it's, it gets sold the day before you want to buy it. So procrastination, uh, you can analyse the property industry uh, forever and always come up with a reason why you shouldn't be doing it. Because time is so important to the end result, the quicker you secure a property, and I'm not, I'm not saying going out and secure any old property, it's got to fit all the parameters, but do something. Be proactive and do something. It's the, again, no rocket science with that either. The fifth one is probability. And what I mean by probability is, is a nice word for risk. So make sure that you bulletproof this thing before you start. So the, a bunch of stuff that we do, for example, just to give you some uh, context around this, around risk, is that we'll build because we'll minimise the, the affordability cost. But we'll build in what I call a war chest rainy day reserve into the exercise to cover any eventuality. So we assume that uh, you're going to need to survive for six months without getting an income from your job or an income from the property. And if we build a war chest using the equity you have, which you only pay for if you use, then you can sleep easy knowing that it doesn't matter what comes along, you're never going to be put in a financial position uh, where you, you can't afford and then make dumb decisions. The other thing that we do very simply with the property portfolio is each and every property and the financing arrangements with it are standalone. Now, what I mean by that is that the banks, without telling you, all of the loans are secured against all the properties, which means that your unoccupied home is at risk if something goes wrong. And worse than that, it reduces your capacity because the banks buffer everything to cover their risk. And uh, if you need to make a change to either sell your home or buy or sell another property, they always revalue everything. And if the market in particular locations are a little bit below, then all of a sudden you could be short on equity. So create a standalone structure and then bolt on offset accounts into each and every one of the uh, loan facilities so that we're optimising the tax deductibility, but also effectively reducing debt uh, over over uh, over the journey. So th there's a whole bunch of other things, but there's some fairly simple things that you can build in that give you that sleep at night factor so that uh, you can rest easy knowing that when and if the issues occur, and they will occur. I, I say to people, 
probably it's not a smooth ride, it's a bumpy ride, but if we've, we've made sure that the suspension on the car is going to absorb every shock that you come across and, you, and you're going to enjoy it, then you don't have to worry. So that's what the probability risk aversion is about. And then the final one, which is the absolute key, mate, uh, is patience and persistence. And the reason I emphasise that so much is that every one of us lives in the instant iPhone world, mate, where we're so used to having things happen immediately at our fingertips by the press of an app or the press of a button, that the concept of long-term and embracing time as your friend rather than the enemy just doesn't exist in our psyches anymore. So uh, you, you used a really good example earlier on of the, you know, if you plant a seed today, you don't get a tree tomorrow, you get, you get a shady tree with fruit in 20 years' time. That's the law of nature, mate. And every, every area of growth where you're trying to achieve success, 15 to 20 years tends to be it. Every yep. successful person I've researched, it doesn't matter whether it's property, shares, business, you name it, takes at least 20 years. Warren Buffett, he, he only really kicked off his wealth at age 55, mate, and most of that wealth has occurred in the last 20 or 30 years. So, no, you're uh, completely correct. It's, it's, it's incredible. It is incredible. And okay, I'm sorry, I didn't. Did... Yeah, no, 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 awesome. So the the that patience and persistence thing is that in terms of mindset, that's the thing that I bang the drum on continuously about is that accept that's going to take fifteen years, embrace that, enjoy the time. Don't try and force it to make it happen because it won't. You'll make mistakes if you start uh, trying to second guess and force the exercise. But accept that you're going to be in a fantastic shape in fifteen year, years plus time, get out of the road, focus on what you're good at, uh, and enjoy the journey. I, I love it. Absolutely love it. And I want to add one thing that I, I personally see a lot of failures, and you would too, with that perspective. And if you have the wrong mindset going into something, I see a lot of people quitting. You know, they quit on things. Like, as you said about your, your, those guys, they, they get five years in and they, oh, crap, my marriage has fallen apart because I haven't structured it correctly. But it's because of the mindset on the front end, right? We've got these gurus out there. You're going to get financial freedom in three to five years. But if, it's, if, you, if you say, well, I'm going to get financial freedom in 10 years or 15 years, you're not going to quit when you get to five because you know you may not have got may not have achieved it at five. So it's about that mindset going on and that's the perspective. And I think that's really key to a lot of things around real estate, a lot of things around success, a lot of things we're talking about on this podcast about being an entrepreneur and all those bloody good things. But the fact is, if you don't have the right mindset on the front end, you're gonna set yourself up for failure because when you do get to that point, you're like, crap, I haven't, I, I haven't got financially free, or I haven't got X, Y, Z. I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna screw this. I'm gonna go try something else. <laughs> So yeah. I love it. Absolutely love it. But just, just, just to summarize, it's purpose, perspective, plan, proactive, probability, uh, patience, and persistence. That's right? No, no. Perfect. Love it. Love it, mate. Mate, I want to be really conscious of your time. Um, where can people go to find out more about what you do, get in your sphere, get the book, just be all about, because I know you've got a podcast as well, so we want to give yourself a little bit of a plug. Yeah, thank you. So the podcast is Getting Invested and I'm looking forward to interviewing you on the Getting Invested uh, when we return from Europe uh, mid-October, Reid. So that's going to be a, an awesome discussion more around the US market, which I'm looking forward to. Um, the book is The Freedom Formula and if you want to find that, you can jump on our website. So there's the KH Group website, so www.khgroup.com.au. I've also got the bushymartin.com.au website if you can't remember KH. They'll lead you to the same place effectively. Um, 
they're the easiest place to get it. Or if you want to email me, uh, I like to interact with people and so does our team. It's bushy at khgroup.com.au, right? Bushy at khgroup.com.au. Well, mate, I know we didn't get into the top five investing tips, but I think we I could keep talking to you for the next two hours, mate. I don't want to I, I don't want to rip you away from your from your day job. But mate, well, I want to thank you for getting on the show today. I just quickly want to summarize some of the incredible things we've spoken about. I think obviously the big one for me is just the time men, you know, mentality around investing and allowing yourself a good long runway in order to set yourself up for success. I think it's really really important. Just to in and around some of the. Um, the interesting factors you use when you're sourcing your properties because it's the same things and the same fundamentals that you look at any investment market, uh, whether it's in Australia or in the United States, whether it's in you know Los Angeles or it's in Adelaide or it's in Texas or it's in New York, you're still looking for those fundamental things which are, you know, you want to look at infrastructure, you want to look at job growth, you want to look at GDP. Um, and I think you the other one was that you want to look at um, jobs, infrastructure, GDP, Oh yeah, and and um, and um, infrastructure related transportation, yeah, uh, hospitalities, uh, hospitals, and stuff like that. Yep. And then obviously to to, to 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 wrap it all up, the six P's, which has been incredibly uh, incredibly insightful into what you do. Did did I leave anything out, mate? No, no, no mate. That was uh, absolutely spot on. I agree with you. We could talk for hours. I I think what we might do, mate, uh, because we're obviously got uh, similar values, and it's quite rare to come across someone who actually shares. Is that this might be round one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Is be, be round one, listeners. There's going to be there's going to be a couple of a series, a three part series. I think it could be. Awesome, Reed. Really good talking to you, mate. Mate, well, thank you so much. Uh, and remember, uh, listeners, if you do want to jump on my website, you can get, make sure you check out all of Bush's information up there. Check out links to his new uh, book. And if you have any questions, um, please shoot him an email. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Happy investing.